It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. You're listening to Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Screen Heroes, your film podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. I am your regular host, Derek, and I have with me my two lovely regular co-hosts, Ryan. Hi. And Ray. What's up? What is up? We are back. This is episode 218, and we are doing a retro review of 1989's Batman from Tim Burton, starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. So we will be getting to that shortly. But first, the latest news. Uh, we got lots of stuff to cover. First, Do we? Yeah, well, we got, we, got right. some, we got some stuff. We got some stuff. All right. Okay. All, All right. right. First, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about some controversy that's come out on from the set of Justice League, the theatrical version where Joss Whedon came in and Ray Fisher had said very publicly, very, very kind of bluntly that there was some shit going on on set from both from Whedon from DC entertainment people like Jeff Johns from Warner brothers pictures people and it created a hostile work environment. People were very unhappy. Even he received what he believed to be threats about being replaced uh, as, as our cyborg in the movie uh, universe of DC EU and there was going to be an official investigation. Warner Media decided they were going to go and dive into this with a third-party investigation. Warner Media being the umbrella that Warner Brothers Pictures is under. Mm-hmm. And then a bunch of articles hit saying that this uh, isn't going anywhere, and they've been trying to handle these claims. And Ray Fisher's not cooperating; that he's refusing to meet with them, and uh, just being, you know, difficult across the board. Uh, then Ray Fisher came out and basically said that this is not the case and that he did try to meet with an investigator who originally was supposed to be impartial from Warner Media. He believes that this investigator is actually directly from Warner Brothers Pictures and is bypassing Warner Media. And he posted that there was another person on the line with the investigator as a witness, something he was not made aware of. He wanted to end the call because he wanted then his own rep on the line to be a witness on his end of the conversation, which, I mean, at least from my perspective, seems fairly legit. Um, And so the conversation ended, and this seems to be the support that is being used by Warner Brothers Pictures to say that he is not being cooperative. The latest development being that 
Jason Momoa has stepped up and said that he supports Ray Fisher and not so many words. Um, and so he now has, has that on, on his side as well. Momoa, of course, has always been very vocal. He was vocal of the Snyder cut being released as well. He's definitely no stranger to being uh, up front about how, what he believes in and, and that sort of thing. So Ryan, let's start with you. What do you think about this situation? About specifically Momoa supporting, or just in general, any aspect of it that you. Well, find I mean, I think that the whole thing is pretty crappy. Uh, you know, if it's true, uh, what he's saying about Jeff Johns and about uh, Joss Whedon, especially because I know you really looked up to, maybe not looked up to, or you had a lot of respect for Jeff Johns and everything I knew about him was through you, essentially. And um, so, you know, it's this is basically completely the opposite of what I was led to believe he was. So. You know, that's disappointing. Joss Whedon, I I mean, I think we've all, based on the last few things he's worked on, has kind of seen his descent into um, not good stuff, sexism in his movies, you know, or the way he treats the women characters and things like that has kind of uh, dropped, you know, in, in the respect uh, category. But yeah, I'm glad Momoa's supporting him. It's They were trying to turn social media and everybody against him and really failed because it was a horrible uh, way of handling it. Just saying that he was upset because of the way his role was written. And that's why he's lashing out and ruining his career forever. That's nobody buys that. So, and if they do, then they need to think about it a little more carefully. Yeah. And a lot of these headlines aren't helping saying things like it's been debunked when no real conversation has actually been had at all for the investigation. Uh, that's not what debunking means. There may not have been any progress, but that definitely doesn't determine the validity validity of what either side is saying. Um, Ray, what are your thoughts? Oh boy. So I think that it takes a lot of courage to risk your career because we all know that there, uh, the people he's calling out have a decent amount of power and the people behind them behind closed doors have even more power and we saw with the Weinstein situation that it was very easy for some of these actresses to be blackballed pretty fast so uh, recently both him and John Boyega have come out with various issues with their roles and the people behind them and I think uh, whether or not they are correct. It still takes a lot of guts to go out and voice your displeasure. Like, I was mistreated. I was informed incorrectly. I was lied to. And this is how it is. So, uh, first of all, I do want to just note that I, I believe Ray Fisher. Uh, I believe John Boyega. So, um, whether or not other people do is not really a concern of mine, but it's even better that Momoa is behind him. You know, the, the more of his castmates behind him, the better. And we know that Snyder's behind him as well. So I, I just think that uh, however this goes, I love that he is sticking to everything, that he hasn't backtracked or walked back and he's not scared for his 
uh, career in any way. He's just like, this was wrong. This happened on set and I'm going to speak out against it. Yeah. Well said. I'm, I'm totally with you on all of that. Echo it all. <laughs> uh, anything else anybody would like to add then before we move on to our next topic? OBB, handle your business. Yeah, yeah, get your shit in order. Yeah, get all your crap together and put it somewhere and just store it there. You know, throw it away maybe, but throw it in a crap container, but to make sure that crap is together and taken care of. Well, to kind of, you know, lean on what Ray was saying, you know, this whole situation, Warner Brothers certainly has more at stake if, if Ray Fisher is right you know, than if they don't, uh, you know, if Ray Fisher is not correct, he is still an up and coming actor. This was his supposedly his big breakthrough role. Cause he was a stage performer prior to his role as cyborg. Meanwhile, the people who are being named on the other end of this are Whedon, who is a, a basically an A-list director, right? Well, Known was, well. I don't think he, yeah. I mean, he's kind of falling off the map now. Yeah, he hasn't directed anything since Justice League. That's fair. That's fair. But, you know, Jeff Johns was basically leading DC Comics until relatively recently, and now that seems to be Jim Lee. And there's a lot of other people on the Warner Brothers side, you know, that are involved in this. So I think part of the problem here is that Warner Brothers has a vested interest in not being at fault. Here's the thing. I truly believe that someone up above... Uh, both Johns and Fisher and all of them know that there is some fault to WB because they did replace Jeff Johns. They did it very quickly. They did it very publicly and they replaced him with the only other guy that had a recognizable uh, name from the comics and the TV shows and the movies. Like he's had his hand in a little bit of everything. So otherwise there's no reason why Johns should have been removed. If they truly believe that Johns did nothing wrong, they would have not just kept him in his position. They would have, you know, forced him out front. He would have ran DC fandom. That's a good point. True. All right. So moving on, let's talk box office a little bit. So last week was the first quote real box office since March with the premiere of new mutants. But this weekend, brought in Tenant, which was the big Christopher Nolan film from Warner Brothers that has been kind of considered to be the first major tentpole film to relaunch movie theaters because AMC promised to have 70% of their screens open in time for Tenant. It did bring in just over $20 million, which uh, is a lot better than New Mutants last weekend, which was $7 million. And New Mutants brought in just over $3 million this weekend, so almost a 60% drop there. No real competition, though. New Mutants was second place. So Tenet brought in $20 million domestically, uh, which uh, is, is a pretty good number. Brings its grand total to 152 worldwide, which, you know, considering the pandemic, seems pretty good to me. Uh, its budget is, a, is pretty big, though. So it's a $224 million budget. So this film was clearly expected to, to bring in the money. Both films are, you know... Tenant is performing well with everybody. It's got a 74% on Rotten Tomatoes from critics and 78% from audiences. So people do like it. It's it's definitely got a lot of positive buzz, whereas New Mutants is very rotten down at 
Um, I know a couple of people that went to go see Tenant in theaters, but yeah, I did not. I might have rented it on VOD if they had done something similar to Bill and Ted. But uh, Ryan, you didn't go see it, did you? Nope. No, nope, I'm still not feeling comfortable going to the movie theaters. So. Yeah, same, same here. I would ask you, Ray, but I would, I think I would know. If you, you do know. Snuck well, away. you know, Sturgis costed, uh, costed, cost, <laughs> um, caused. There we go. That's a word. Uh, 260,000 more cases of COVID. Now, obviously, these people aren't, um, some may be life-threatening and others may be just experiencing the cold flu symptoms, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to stay away from public places for a while. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I can't imagine going to the theater this year, but, um, you know. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, the only other movie that's really making any waves, either positive or negative, is the live-action adaptation of Mulan from Disney, which hit Disney Plus this past weekend with the premium price tag of $29.99 for people who already have the Disney Plus service. It did premiere internationally in several markets, bringing in just under $7.5 million for the film. Can't really say how it's vod sales are doing on disney plus but there is a lot of controversy around this film i can only go off of what i've seen on my particular feeds my feeds in uh instagram twitter and facebook and so far i've only seen one person tell uh or say that they paid for it on disney plus well, I mean, there, there is an audience score on Rotten mm -hmm. Tomatoes, uh, and this is where critics and audiences definitely differ, where Tenant's very even. The critics have given Mulan 76%, while audiences are only 54%. So there's definitely a gap there. And I'm wondering how much of that has to do with more of the real world, behind-the-scenes issues yeah. that have been caused. Um, multiple actors, including uh, Liu herself, who plays Mulan, have come out in support of the police forces in Hong Kong, which has been very controversial. Disney has also um, uh, thanked the city of... of uh Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Xinjiang, where part, where part of the film was, was uh, produced. We don't know how much. And that city has been known for a lot of uh, human rights violation issues as well as it particularly um, dealing with... I believe with they're called concentration camps. Yes, uh, specifically dealing with Muslim people. Um, and so it's very, very controversial, this film, across the board. Um, Disney's being hit. Some of the actors are being hit for statements that they've made. I think that's definitely tainted people's opinions of the film and whether or not they'd even bother mm -hmm. paying to see it. Simu Liu had a whole different point, too, that he was putting out there about yeah. it. That was more controversy. Please. I think that's how you say his name. Does that sound right to you guys? The yes. guy that's playing Shang-Chi. 
yeah, he said that it was uh, that he's really he. He didn't call it out directly, but he basically said that he's really sick of people, of white people, uh, focusing their stories around um, honor and just assuming that that's all their culture is about is honor and everything for honor. And that's like what white people focus on. And so it seemed like he was calling out Mulan, but also calling out uh, um, Avatar The Last Airbender because apparently, I, I don't know enough about Avatar, Rachel knows more, but apparently on Mulan, it was like all white executive producers and, uh, you know, people in charge and writers. Mm -hmm. So. Absolutely. I think Simu brings up a good point that if you're going to have diversity in front of the camera to say that things are diverse, then you need to have them behind the camera as well. And, you know, uh, starting in the writer's room now, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender was a bit more diverse behind the camera than uh, Mulan was, but it was still a majority of white men who wrote the episodes and created, directed, so. And I think that I've, I've watched Avatar The Last Airbender and I, and I haven't watched Mulan. I've watched the original, but I mean, I think that they're, I, I feel like they're, at least on Avatar, they were really trying to handle it in a respectful way. I, there was nothing in Avatar that made me feel like they were mocking the culture or doing anything offensive on purpose everything was like they were it seemed like they're really trying to honor as best they knew and i think part of it is just that they don't really know the culture you know what i mean like it's it, right i can't i can only write about what i know and if all i know about a culture is that you know they have a heavy focus on honor then that's what i'm going to lean on when i'm writing stories about that culture and so yeah i mean it Everything in Avatar was handled really, really respectfully, I thought, but I could definitely understand how it would be offensive to someone who knows more about the culture and knows it's deeper than this one thing. Well, it's, it, to me, it's a bit obvious that they stepped outside of their comfort zone, especially when it comes to the different cultures and the martial arts. They wanted things to be unique and um, respectful. So... I haven't seen Mulan. I can't say anything towards or against it, but it's definitely an issue having a ton of white people write stuff uh, for people of color as the characters. You know, we really shouldn't be the mouthpieces. And even if it's respectful, you, if you even, don't understand yeah. the culture, like you just have to. It's not that hard to find somebody who probably does understand the culture, especially when you're a huge company like Disney. Absolutely. Also, not less offensive about Mulan, but more just kind of stupid. They got rid of Mushu because he was too fantastical and not grounded enough, but then they have a lady that can turn into a bird. Yeah, they have a witch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, what the heck? Oh, but whatever. Honestly, it, Mushu was so great. There's so much issues with the live action. I feel like they should have just adapted it the way they have the others. Full on music, full on Mushu, full on. Mushu was my one of my favorite Shang. parts of the original. So it's sad to me that he's not in the in this version, but whatever. Uh, well, so segue. <laughs> please. Since we were just talking about Simu Liu, uh, production on Shang-Chi has resumed down in Australia since, you know, they've got their COVID shit together. 
he's also a delight to follow on Twitter. So he if really you is. aren't following him, highly recommended. He seems like a delightful human being. He does. He seems like a cool dude. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if you don't want to pay the $30 price tag to uh, pseudo purchase Mulan on Disney Plus, you can wait until December 4th and watch it as just part of Disney Plus. Which so, you absolutely should. Do not support streaming services overcharging us. Like we already pay for a ton of streaming services. Don't support this. It is it is weird, especially because if you go to the page, it straight up says on the app right now that it's December 4th. Mm -hmm. So they're not hiding it. It's right in your face. If you can hold out for three months, then it's no extra cost to you if you already have. It's interesting have. That, that they're going to be doing that, uh, that they're pushing that too. I would have waited until like, I would have thought they would wait until like the Mandalorian is going to be streaming its last episode and then they release it so that mm -hmm. you have another month of payment. But instead they're doing it like in the middle of the Mandalorian's run. So that's odd. It is strange. It's, it's definitely strange across the board. I don't really understand their thought process on this. We're I'm not wait. getting another Disney, we're not getting a Marvel show this year, right? Was no. that confirmed? No, we are not. Okay. Yeah. And like that's even crazier, right? So you'd think they'd want to spread out what they do have. Yeah. A little bit. Um so Well, cuz WandaVision could be completed and released, but the problem is continuity-wise, they have it us uh, right in between um Loki and Doctor Strange or Doctor Str no Falcon and Doctor Strange so it has to release at a certain time yeah that's the problem with these, mo these movies being all in the shared universe I guess mm -hmm. absolutely yep speaking of the Mandalorian though we did get some uh, new set photos high quality set photos of some of our characters some good post photos too Entertainment Weekly gets some good stuff they do they do uh, Carl Weathers looks good Glad mm -hmm. to As see usual. that that he's returning. I love him, and so I just I like seeing that he's got a, 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 what appears to be a prominent role in season two. I hope is a prominent role in it season was two. A pretty prominent role in season one. Well, if you look at it, That's their right. IMDb's uh, Carl Weathers and uh, why can't I think of her name? The woman who played uh, Gina Carano. Uh, both of them only did three episodes last season, which is crazy considering how much I remember about their importance but there's no Gina, i feel like I, I don't know it didn't seem like she played as much of a role so i can believe that she was three episodes but carl weathers i thought it felt like he felt like he was more than three episodes no it's that presence. yeah it just goes to show like what he brings to the screen when mm -hmm. he's there he's just he's memorable I, he, he's directing an episode this season too because that was part oh. of his deal so mm -hmm. um when he did season one they said if he gets they get renewed for season two then he wants to direct an episode so i am curious cool. to see how that goes yeah I didn't. I didn't know he directed. I wonder what else he's done. That's really interesting. I don't know, but yeah, I'll be. Maybe this is his first thing. Maybe. I did like there's. I saw some headlines that are like, "Well, Baby Yoda's still a baby." Like, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think he just aged up like fifty years and like how little time is between season one and season two. You know, he's not a human child like Fresh Prince of Bel Air or something where you just age Nikki up so he can have lines. It's, it's also, a he he isn't still a baby. He's fifty years old. <laughs> Maybe 51 at this point. I don't know. It's hard to say. Its name is not Baby Yoda. We're just calling it that because we don't no, know. No, but it is called a child, right? So yeah, it is the, the baby. But, like, I think that's also, you know, 
people not understanding how that species exists either right you know when you live for 900 years it's uh you know you have a long childhood i guess <laughs> is that how it works with elves too are elves considered no children they, at they pretty much mature they mature at human speeds They're do just, they okay yeah they're just perpetually youthful. Yeah, exactly. Once they hit like 18, they stay 18 looking until they're like 100. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Well, fair enough. The things you learn. Right. Uh, any other news pieces that you would like to talk about tonight? Yes. Just one. Ooh. Oh, what? Rachel has one too? Hit me, Rachel. <laughs> okay. So... One of my favorite TV shows of all time, one of my favorite cartoons was recently canceled, and I want to discuss this. Venture Brothers was officially canceled by Cartoon Network and Adult Swim, and uh, Jackson Public, Doc Hammer, both of them released statements about it, confirming those were the creators. And I just, I have to say that the show has been on for 17 years, and yet... They have seven seasons. So <laughs> this, it, it just, I, I have to say, and I may get some hate from other Venture Brothers. Don't get me, or other Venture Brothers fans, but don't get me wrong. I love this show. I think it's one of the best shows out there. But when you have seven seasons in 17 years, it is not just the studios or production company's fault. Like, creators writers they're behind that too something is is wrong voice cast or animators something so i'm really happy that hbo max is looking to pick it up that would be great if they got a wrap-up because season seven left a lot of open threads but for real like the fans need to calm it down <laughs> um it's it's not the most tragic thing ever i'm not a big venture brothers fan so i don't really have an opinion on the matter fair enough oh, i mean I, i'm sad for the fans yeah out there but other than that it's disappointing when a show gets stuck in that in that situation it would be nice if they were given an opportunity to, to wrap things up like we were talking about with with doom patrol right if doom patrol doesn't get a season three i think as fans we deserve some kind of finale to mm -hmm. wrap up what we've invested two seasons into and, and paid for you know, to, to see these stories. And I, I imagine those, those venture brothers fans who have stuck around for 17 years, which I'm sure some of them have been there the whole time to have it end like that is frustrating. I can understand that for sure. So that's it. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> all right, Ryan, what you got? Okay. I just want to say that Derek and I are matching tonight. We are in our Snyder cut shirts. Very nice. Actually, the quality is pretty good too. I'm Usually, sometimes the charity shirts like these are not uh, super great quality. So this hoodie is super surprised. comfortable. The yeah, the fabric on the shirt soft. is nice. And one thing I love about these shirts is they're very long. I have a long torso, so if it's short and you know some large, they're like up to my belly button, and some they're down to my knees. And so this was a nice, good, nice length. So, but yeah, all the <laughs> proceeds for this went to uh, Zack Snyder's charity of choice, I believe. I don't remember the name of it. I believe it's the uh, the American Society for Suicide Awareness. Is that what it was? Yes. Um, yeah. And now we're associate producers. We are. Yeah. The back say, say associate producer. So I got to update my IMDb. That's right. I get a second credit. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I got to update my LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Support yep. the Snyder Cut. That's right. Even if it sucks, at least I got a cool shirt and supported something good. That's right. Absolutely. So. 
anyway, that was, that was all my news. All right. Well, I want to wish, because we're recording this on Tuesday night, September 8th, I want to wish everybody a happy Star Trek day. Happy 54th birthday. This is not Richard's runabout. I don't care. It's Star Trek day. And if you go to StarTrek.com slash day, you can see a whole bunch of cool stuff that they've been putting together for today. All of the panels from today are on CBS All Access's YouTube channel, which includes panels from all of the currently existing Star Trek TV series, as well as the upcoming Strange New World. So lots of cool content to watch totally for free out on their YouTube channel. We're going to go ahead and take a short break. When we come back, we will be discussing Batman 89. We'll be right back. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, and we are back to discuss Batman 1989 from Tim Burton starring Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. This was the first live-action feature film for Batman since 1966 and a pretty substantial reimagination of the character from the Adam West version that we had in the 60s. Uh, lots to say about it. Made a lot of money. Made over $411 million in the box office on a $35 million budget. So, in 1989. In 1989, which is huge. I mean, first off, that was a pretty good-sized budget for 1989 anyway. That was a substantial budget, and it made a ton of money in 1989. Obviously, as they keep making more and more Batman movies, they continue to make more and more money as ticket prices increase. So it's a little difficult to do a direct comparison, but it's still a lot of money. Um, it's easier to compare it to other movies in 1989 that came out that were hits. But I mean, that's that's fair. That's fair. Um, so, all right, let's let's talk. Let's talk the film. Let's okay, can talk. we just for for first the first thing? Can we say when the last time we watched this movie was? Prior to like this weekend. <laughs> yes, because for me, I don't know when the last time I watched this movie. It's probably been five, maybe ten years since I've watched it. So a lot of it was really, I felt like it was a completely fresh eye on the movie when I, and I really enjoyed that. So, um, you know, thinking through it, probably at least five years, I'm trying to remember when I got this Blu-ray. Um, cause I know I watched it on this Blu-ray, but I can't quite remember when that came out. So I'm not sure, but it's definitely been several years and it's not a movie that I've seen as much as say the, the first two Nolan films. I've seen those more often. Or the Schumacher films. Or the Schumacher films. I I saw those more of, because like as a kid, those two were on TV all the time. And so I I got to watch those all the time. Whereas Batman and Batman Returns, I, I saw them as a kid, but since I didn't own them until I was an adult, I didn't really get to see them much. 
What about Rachel? Rachel made a face when I asked this question. I did, yeah. Um, It's probably been about 20 years. And as I commented on our thread in the Screen Heroes group, I probably have never seen the movie in its entirety. I think I had seen it on TV only. And of course, if you were a child of the 90s like I was, then you saw a lot of TBS and TNT movies and realized that they cut out a lot. <laughs> they did. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. So, okay, so we all had pretty fresh eyes mm-hmm. for this one, which uh, is a little surprising because, you know, we talk a lot about superheroes. We talk a lot about Batman. So I think in the back of my mind, we had all just kind of watched this movie more regularly. Yeah, so that makes sense. There's uh, there's some obvious things to touch on. There's the visual style, because this is a Tim Burton film. This really changed what Batman looked like mm-hmm. moving forward for arguably until even now, he's still being influenced by Tim Burton's styles. What do you guys think? So I just, because not a lot of movies have a cool kind of title sequence opening, so I don't get to talk about them much, but I actually really like this one where the camera is kind of outlining this bat symbol as it pulls out. And of course it it pulls out perfectly on directed by Tim Burton and it's all, you know, framed up really nicely, but I like that opening. Does that do anything for you guys? It's fine. It was a little long. It is long. um, One thing I did notice, well, my girlfriend actually noticed when we were watching it. She was a long time for her. She hadn't seen it a long time either, but uh, Jack Nicholson got top billing. He yeah. was the first name pop up over I Michael Keaton. That too. So I thought that was interesting. A little Very. insight into 1989 there. Yeah, I mean, Nicholson clearly had like the more powerhouse career at that point. You know, because we, we talk about casting controversies all the time, but this was a huge casting controversy for Batman. Michael Keaton was... They all are <laughs> casting controversies <laughs> yeah. when it comes to that character. Uh, but, I mean, ahead of time, I don't know. Was were I don't know that any of them were as controversial beforehand like Michael Keaton was. So they got a letter writing campaign because he had only done like two movies at that time. It was Beetlejuice and I want to say Mr. Mom. And people thought he was just going to be a complete joke and that it wouldn't even be a joke like the Adam West one was joke. Like everybody else would try to be serious and gritty and he'd be the only one not taking it seriously. So Warner Brothers was flooded with handwritten letters. Children, this is how old this movie is. Handwritten. Your Grammys and Pop Pops decided to bitch via USPS. That's right. (laughs) Back in the time when there was a USPS. So oh, too soon man too soon gonna cry um yeah there, and there's some very interesting kind of behind the scenes stuff about the movie too because jack nicholson's contract was really unique he took a percentage of the gross of the film which at the time people thought was stupid but allowed him to have the record for single movie um single movie earnings by an actor into this century 
I, I don't know if that record's been broken yet by, say, Robert Downey Jr. Uh, in any of the Avengers films or anything or, like that. Or, you know, Johnny Depp from the Pirates films. Mm -hmm. But yeah. he did at least, before the MCU existed, uh, he had that record for sure. Uh, so, so Jack Nicholson, like, he passed on the film eventually. He was Tim Burton's first choice for Joker. He passed because he didn't really know who Tim Burton was. He didn't really know who Michael Keaton was and he didn't care for it. Well, Robin Williams was approached to play the Joker, but once the hype started getting around the uh, Hollywood, Jack Nicholson like walked in there, swung his big old dick, and he got Joker, and he got this amazing contract, and he pretty much got to run his own show. Like Jack Nicholson did what Jack Nicholson wanted to because he was the most uh, seasoned person on set apparently in front of and behind the camera yeah what do you think of jack nicholson's joker all of these years because for a long time especially before the dark knight he's he was the joker mm -hmm. for most people and now maybe it's a little more up in the air but what did you guys think how does his performance hold up now you know since so much later 30 30, years 31, later. 31 years I am so used to the Joker being this no rules psychopath that it it really took me back that he was channeling part of Cesar Romero's um, performance where he made the puns and he made the jokes and you know everything had a laugh to it because that's not how the Joker's been for quite a long time. And it, it just completely threw me off, I think. But in a good way. Like, I, I forgot how fun the Joker could be. Now, like, between Ledger and Phoenix and Leto, like, the Joker's not fun. He's just frightening. And Nicholson was a little bit of fun. Yeah, I, th I mean, this definitely stood out. I mean, rewatching it now, it reinforced that jo that Jack Nicholson is my favorite Joker because it, I mean, it's more relevant now than it was even when, you know, years ago when I when there weren't as many to compare it to. But um, you know, now, like Rachel said, every Joker is like this emotional mess, and they're you know, real world mental health issues and things like that. You know, even uh, Ledger's Joker, where he didn't get any background, there was background on him, and he was like a, a veteran with PTSD and whatever else. So, the, like, that's at least what they came up with on set for him as a background. And that stuff is just too real for me. Like, anytime the whole the whole point of these movies is that it takes me away from the real world. But then when you tell me that the Joker has mental issues from PTSD or from the stuff from uh, Joaquin Phoenix's Joker's movie, um, you know, where it's all legitimate things that could happen to somebody in the real world and have happened to people. Um, you know, that takes away from the character for me. The whole point of the Joker is that he's nobody knows why he's crazy. You know, he's just this, his whole personality is this outrageous thing and, and it's not based in realism. And, and this was kind of that for me, even though you did see him get thrown in the acid and it kind of made him a little weird and crazy, but it wasn't, you know, there's not people in the real world that have been thrown into acid and their skin turns white and they start making a lot of jokes. 
know. So I I like that because starting from the very beginning, Jack Napier is a cruel man. He is a conniving man. He's already a bad guy. He's a gangster with goals. He wants to be at the top of the um, food chain. So he's already a bad guy. We didn't need any backstory on him. And personally, as someone who is uh, not neurotypical, I, I have depression and anxiety and I've been through some shit. Um, I am tired of seeing mental illness being the sole cause for, you know, murderers and terrorists and because that's not always it. Most of the time we're just quiet and sad. So <laughs> I think uh, just having somebody who is cruel for the sake of being cruel as the Joker, it, it was it was better for me. <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I had always said that Heath Ledger's Joker was my favorite, and after watching this, it's a much harder decision to make because I think I had forgotten how good Jack Nicholson is in this. He's fantastic. I'm not going to go so far as to say it's his best jo job ever, but it's very, very good. And there are so many pieces to it that I really enjoy. I like that he puts on makeup to make his skin look normal when he goes on, on TV or has meetings. I like that he has some gadgets to him, right? Like the hand electrocution thing. It takes me back to the comics. The acid squirting uh, flower. Yes, exactly. It's, it's very comic booky. It's very much like, you know, the cartoons and things like that, where Batman has his gadgets, but you know what? Joker's got some too. His are just maybe a little more twisted. And Which is how it should be. Exactly, because at the end of the day, what's the whole point of the movie? The whole point of the movie is that they created each other. He created They're... this fucking uh, boxing glove thing to punch a TV that's like 20 feet away. That was its <laughs> only purpose. I love it. It's so great. He went through so <laughs> many TVs. Right? <laughs> and I, so good. I love it. The scene where he's cutting out pictures, right? And there's pictures that are all over the floor. They're all over the desk. It's It's just it's all shot really well. And he just sells every moment that he's on screen. I turned to Derek and I was like, who knew arts and crafts was such a big deal with villains. Cause mm -hmm. it's been a while since I've seen, you know, crazy person cuts out magazines. That's right. And the Joker does it better than anybody else. Oh yeah, he does. And when they pan out, I promise you that's where Leto got the idea to, have the knives all around him probably like or at Except least this one actually made some some semblance of oh, sense it was so much better the knives were just so meticulous and i'm like i cannot imagine sitting there putting all these random knives around me and then posing for a photograph and then tiptoeing <laughs> into the middle of it so you didn't right. disturb any of them right and laying so, down just right and i blame <laughs> this is gonna sound so mean but oh i blame leto because david ayer is not that creative <laughs> well i don't know about that but okay <laughs> seems like Sorry, a random david, shot on watching. david yeah um no just He's a boring director like, what one one thing that that really sells this joker for me though is the way he is portrayed mentally he's still 
told to be a very intelligent person, but he also has the mob background. So organized crime is in, is already in his DNA. He's been doing it for years. He's like the number two in this organization. Right. And so him taking that over is an easy sell because he was kind of next in line anyway. And he already knows how to do all of this. So when he is running these organizations and he's threatening these other mob bosses, it's all very believable because he's already living in that world. Whereas, you know, Heath Ledger's Joker, he is a complete foreign body that's introduced to Gotham out of nowhere. And I still love that performance. I still think it's wonderful and just really incredible work. But I don't know. I think maybe the Nicholson one might take the cake. It's a certainty for me that it takes the cake. I just, like I said, even the Ledger one is just too close to reality for me. You know, that's one the one thing that, um, stood out to me about this movie as a whole is that it really embraced the comic book. You know, like you think of uh, the Schumacher movies being corny and like over the top, and they were, but not in like a comic booky sense. Right. They were just they were more over the top in like a kids movie sense. Whereas this, everything, every movement, every character made was theatrical. Uh, Batman. I mean, anytime he walked anywhere was done with a sense of purpose and the way he everything you know every time he uh walked into a room he'd have his cape out you know um i don't know i don't know if i'm describing it appropriately but everything that that was done by any character in this movie was done in a way that made me feel like it was closer to a comic book um than any of the other batman movies that have come out since I think a lot a of classic comic to... book, I should say, because like you, you look at Ben Affleck's Batman and he's comic book accurate too, but to a totally different Batman. And this one I think was more accurate to a Batman that, that ran for a longer period of time, probably the Batman that more people are familiar with in our, in our age group. So. And I think, I think a lot of that also lends to how the movie is shot. There are just some really great still shots that look like they could just be comic book frames. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. They could be cells in a comic, whether it's him holding up his cape, right. Or the Batmobile coming down the street, you know, or the, jo- or the Joker with his boxing glove gun. There are just some great front on shots that look like they could have been drawn. A lot and of that- the shots from the Joker in the parade too. Oh yeah. In, in the Batwing or whatever they were calling it at the time. The yeah. Batman. I don't, I don't know if they actually called it the Batwing or not. But can we talk about how surprising that is considering Tim Burton was a fan of the character but had never really read the comic books. He was not a fan of comic books at all. And I think it really helped having Bob Kane on set as a consultant and helping write the script. But still, I just, I can't believe that it turned out so well. There's no reason why it should. It is hard to believe, but I think that a lot of the way that Tim Burton works anyway is kind of parallel to the to comic book. You know, he, every like if you look at Edward Scissorhands, for example, it's all over the top too, and like from everything from the colors to the way people move and act, it that could be a comic book in itself. Um, so I think that a lot of it was just WB. I assume whoever was in charge at the time recognizing that. Tim Burton style really suited this style and that, that they were going to be able to get a good comic book character movie absolutely. done with his style. That's the only thing I can think of because yeah, you're absolutely right. He is he was not a fan of comic books and he had never read a Batman comic, supposedly, at least before he made this movie. He probably started when he got tired, but 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, there, there's always been one aspect to the way Joker's story is portrayed here that I used to not like, but now seeing the movie's story come full circle with kind of, you know, a more adult head on my shoulders is that, he, you know, he, he killed Bruce's parents, right? He's Joe Chill, so to speak. And I never really cared for that because I thought it was an unnecessary connection. But thinking back on it now, I kind of like the idea that the Joker created Batman and Batman created the Joker and they're intertwined with like each other. And yang. Right. They're right. They're, they're, you know, two sides of the same coin kind of concept goes back to the gadgets, that kind of thing. What do you guys think of that aspect to the story? Do you think that's a good change? Cause that wasn't part of Joker's origin and Joker didn't really have an origin prior to this movie. I like origins to be completely honest. And I don't care if people change it up or not, but you know, I, I don't think that, a character having a mystery origin works forever. You know, eventually we get bored of who is the Wolverine, who is the Joker, who is Rogue, you know, just you don't have to immediately give up the origin. You don't have to uh, completely have it down when you first create the character, but eventually it's got to happen. So, I liked it. Yeah, it didn't really bother me then. It doesn't doesn't really bother me now. All of these things, all these different movies that have come out about Batman are all just different takes of... I mean, if you look at the comic books, there's so many different Batman stories. I mean, Mm -hmm. right now you got the Batman who laughs. It's a weird-ass Joker-Batman hybrid for the edgiest Hot Topic teens. Mm -hmm. You know, there's so many different takes on Batman that it doesn't bother me to see something different like this. And and then you know it was fine and yeah seeing it as an adult it worked in the context of the movie and that's an interesting idea that they created each other so i like that and i it's you know very tim burtony so Mm -hmm. it all comes back to again they had the right people there to work on this movie i think that was really really evident so let's talk batman let's talk bruce wayne and michael keaton and the suit and the batmobile all that kind of good stuff um Real quick, I didn't forgot how thick the rubber is on that cowl. Yep. Rewatching it, it that is poor man. Whew, you know, it's like uh, three inches thick right around his <laughs> nose. I'm like, Jesus, dude. You know, he couldn't. Uh, he couldn't turn his neck. Right, that's kind of where the the Batman turn came from, and he reportedly couldn't even hear on set. It was so muffled that he couldn't even really make out what people were saying. Well, I mean, but, the picture that you're using just for this episode, he looks strained. You know, he doesn't look like looking at Jack Nicholson is easy. Mm-hmm. But visually, it's a good look. So you know, I think it was maybe worth the effort and all of that hard work from him. Um, the Do either of you know how up. many stunt doubles he had? Because it no. was it was obvious in some photos, or in some parts of the movie, that he wasn't the one in the suit all the time, but I couldn't tell when. So I was just curious. Like, no, I, I, no I don't know. No. And the size seemed to change too. There was a couple shots where the guy was really lean and lanky, and then other times when uh, he was a bigger, thicker guy. So I was just curious. 
Maybe they need this, the suit. As somebody who now, in my adult years, makes Batman stuff, um, and you know has had a lot more eyes on it, it's interesting to me how raw and like unfinished the suit looks in a lot of the scenes. When you look at the back of the cowl, you can see like bumps from the clay when they molded it and things like that. There's a big seam that you can see in one spot, and I mean, it's I I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I, it's a tale of the times, right? There had been no Batman, and nobody was really doing anything like this. And so uh, it, it's really cool to see that. And it's cool to see that the creators that are making them now are making them better than that it actually was in 1989. Um, but yeah, the suit was great. I mean, it's still one of my favorite suits. This one in the Batman Returns suit. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, which actually it's funny when you see the Batman Returns after seeing this movie and noticing how like almost raw the suit looks in this movie, it's much more finished in the next movie yeah. where I'm guessing they gave them a higher budget and they had more experience, but... <laughs> um yeah the cowl is very thick and beefy looking um Mm -hmm. which is great it's a great compliment because michael keaton is not thick and beefy looking in general um so you know you you kind of got way more intimidating presence whereas like ben affleck was thick and beefy and then on top of that wore a muscle suit and like his cowl had no neck so you know somebody like michael keaton needed to lean into the performance a little bit more i feel like to be intimidating than somebody like uh affleck did but um, yeah, I mean, this suit is still top notch in my book. I, I love it so much. Just the first scene with him where he grabs the mugger and he's like, I'm Batman. Like, oh, God. Right away. Yeah. Oh, so good. Did it was I, it interesting to you guys that this, he's a year one Batman. He's like only been Batman for like two months or something. Yeah. It hasn't they imply been long, that, yeah. They imply yeah. that they've just started a file on him for the mm-hmm. GCPD. Because people don't think he's real yet. Yeah, and so it's still a mess. super interesting to me because I had completely forgotten how early he was in his career here, but yet he has this completely armored suit. He has the Batwing. He has this cra- crazy Batmobile. <laughs> so, I mean, it's pretty nuts to me that this is a year one, like month three Batman. Mm-hmm. And I love that we didn't get the origin story right at the beginning. I love right, that yeah. it came a little it bit It seemed later. like it was, though. It, like, if you didn't know going into it, which I had forgotten where it played mm-hmm. in the movie, I was like, oh, great, they're going to show this again. Because it's a couple with their kid, mm-hmm. and they're just, like, running through a street, and they, like, head down an alley. The, the yeah. only thing that, any, that makes it any different is that he, the names, when they say yeah. people's names. But if you didn't know the characters' names or anything, you would think this is just Batman's origin shown again. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what, one cool fact you're talking about, you know, when he says, I'm Batman, uh, that line was ad-libbed by Michael Keaton. The actual script was. was supposed to say, I am vengeance. Which, which they did in the Pattinson movie which now. Which they're doing now, which is yeah. so cool. Exactly. So, like, what first off. What a great off, callback. Right? So, first, yeah, it's a wonderful callback. It clearly is a great callback. And at the same time, it shows that Michael Keaton gave us what's kind of one of the most iconic lines that Batman now has, at least in live action. And so it's a really cool moment that's now coming full circle. Yeah. So what did you guys think of Michael Keaton as Bruce Wayne? I think he's a great Bruce Wayne. I think he plays him a little off, a little, you know, kind of off balance or on edge. And I think that that works. I think that it's more realistic for what would be going on in that person's head. Mm-hmm. Right. Unless he was like, unless he was truly a psychopath, which I don't really want my Batman to truly be a psychopath because he's supposed to be fighting for justice. Right. Batman's supposed to be a sociopath, not a psychopath. That's Superman. Right. Exactly. There's well, 
exactly to the first half of that sentence and then you said uh-huh. superman and that's not i don't know but anyway <laughs> i like the way michael keaton plays the character on kind of this razor thin edge um you know no fault of his own i think it's it's silly that vicky finds out his secret identity already but, but that's a separate issue yes i have plenty to say about vicky but uh, I liked him as Bruce Wayne. I liked that he was unassuming that people at his party had no idea who he was. And that was interesting to me. That that point itself, that nobody knew who Bruce Wayne was. That hasn't happened in any movie, any Batman movie since then, I don't think. It implies that he is gone since his parents passed away under the radar that he didn't pop up at charity balls he didn't he wasn't running wayne enterprises just yet like but it's not it's not limited to that because right. when they show the flashback to the night his parents were murdered nobody on the street knows that this is thomas wayne and martha wayne they're they they like get t- passed over for a cab like they're just fighting them for for a cab like everyone else so i mean it's their whole family is almost unknown it seems like to gotham despite being billionaires and having this huge mansion like when he asked if she had trouble finding the place it's i laughed at that but then like that's supposed to be a serious moment because he he doesn't laugh at it like he's making a joke he legitimately is asking her if she had trouble finding the place so it makes me wonder if like in this gotham there's a lot of billionaires and a lot of mansions (laughs) Well, that that line didn't work for me because wasn't she there like the night before, for the the party? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Good <laughs> so point. Like, that was yeah. a weird line, but I get your point. I totally appreciate your point. I think that line just doesn't make any sense. I thought I but... I would have made more sense if he laughed afterwards, but because he didn't laugh, it made it weird. Right. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Like exactly. it would have been a great joke, but then he was yeah. serious about it. But I, I did like right. how he was like. I have. I don't even know if I've ever been in this room. You know, it's, you know what he did play as Bruce Wayne. I I still think he's probably the best Bruce Wayne we've gotten, if not top two for sure, uh, for me anyway. He's he like you guys said on the razor's edge. When you see him uh, having to be creative when the Joker shows up at Vicky Vale's place, um, when he puts the thing under his suit and then like starts acting crazy to get shot by the Joker um you know i thought that was an interesting thing i mean we haven't i agree seen something like that since then mm-hmm. um yeah. so yeah it's yeah I, I was a big fan of his bruce wayne seeing it again mm-hmm. i think he plays both really well and i think that that's a problem that most of the live action actors have is that they do one of them well but you have to be able to handle both characters, right? Because they really are two different characters, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not easy. I, I understand that it's definitely not an easy task, but I think he pulls it off. Yeah. And then you want to get, you want to get nuts. Let's get nuts. Uh, uh, line was, <laughs> I, I wish that was ad-libbed by him because that would be great. But it's yeah, great, you, yeah. you started to see a little Beetlejuice peek through in, in that line. Yes. A little bit. As yeah. I, yeah. Which Just is fine. I mean, it's the same actor, so you can only do so much, but yeah, I liked it. It and definitely I think shows that the more unhinged side of Bruce Wayne. Right. And that's what Beetlejuice basically is. Beetlejuice is a totally unhinged character. So like, that's, that's fine. That didn't really bother me, but I did think it was funny. Mm-hmm. So do we want to talk Vicky Vale then? Okay. I don't really have much to say about her. She's pretty. She's awful. One dimensional. Yeah. <laughs> Vicky Vale is absolutely awful. You meet this guy. The next day you have a date with him. You sleep over. You have a wonderful time. 
you are already making plans for the same day and you're bummed when he can't make it like that that is very clingy next you catch him in a lie his butler betrays him and that's a different story bro like get your wingman shit together but (laughs) but instead of just like either choosing two sane paths asking him why he lied and moving on from there or you know letting it go and not seeing the guy because you don't like a liar you stalk him what big time big time what no she is not a good character she is not a good person she is not a good journalist like (laughs) stop full stop worst love interest ever can we go back to forever where we get the super horned up uh nicole kidman instead because at least she was it to me sane was she a journalist i thought she was just a photographer She's a she's photojournalist. A, yeah, she's a... Oh, okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, this, when she's following him and he takes the flowers to, you know, the alley where his parents were killed and he puts, them on, puts the flowers on the ground and leaves, what she doesn't think for a moment, oh, well, obviously something bad happened here. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go ahead and pick up these flowers that are clearly a tribute, you know, in memory of something not happy. I'm going to pick them up. Just yeah, seems, that was super insensitive. Right? absolutely you know and then she digs all into it about what happened and finding out that his parents were murdered and then like then alfred just lets her into the bat cave classic alfred (laughs) what is that about i absolutely adore that bruce wayne line where he's like why don't you marry her (laughs) yeah what if he could man he's not a billionaire you know playboy well i think they would have made a cute couple Agreed. At least and Alfred's, he was a great Alfred. And at least he's consistent in the four films, right? Like, you know, getting Batgirl involved in Batman and Robin. He's already got a suit made for her like 20 minutes after she shows up. Mm-hmm. So clearly he's at least consistent through the four films. But... Is he the only character that's consistent through the four? No, Commissioner Gordon. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Gordon is the same in all four? Yes. I'm, uh, I, okay. Uh, what am I missing? Uh, Pat Hingle. Yes. Yeah. You know who was great and a little under, like, under uh, appreciated i feel like in this movie was the guy that played that dirty cop in like the first half of the movie episode like eckhart. The thing. eckhart that dude was great he was yeah. cheesing it up he i mean great. he was over the top in the best way and you know watching this movie back now it was i, I very much appreciate what he did for the movie yes hands down i think he does a much better job than uh the same character in the nolan films yes agreed uh, personally um, so one other character, at least that I, th- I think is worth mentioning, of course, is Harvey Dent. Is he worth mentioning? He's in like 10 seconds of the movie. Well, no, he had, uh, like four or five scenes. He got a ton of lines. He got a few monologues. He's like, also played by Billy D. I thought he had a, uh, I was remembering him having a much smaller role than what he actually did. I, I think the worst thing about the character for me is that he doesn't go anywhere. Right, yeah. because Schumacher didn't bring him back. And so that arc that they start building in this film that I think has a lot of promise, and I think that Billy Dee's got this amazing charisma about him to play this kind of character that, given what it was supposed to become, would have been, I think, super interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's just 
it's almost a bummer. Oh, it's completely a bummer. The fact that he starts off as this great guy, smaller role, he comes back for the sequel, a little bit larger of a role, still a great guy. And in the third movie, he could have easily like started this downfall and then the fourth movie he's the big bad like that is some well done storytelling but that's not what happened it's not and it's sad and you know we've we've talked about batman forever when we've talked about tommy lee jones's harvey dent um and you know as a little kid i enjoyed that character a lot but i think billy d williams would have been better for the role as it was already like as as it was being designed initially so Mm -hmm. but what are you gonna do what are you gonna do uh any other topics though that you want to cover as we are now over our one hour mark on this week's episode i want to bring up a point that has bothered me since i was a kid watching this movie please so i want to preface this with i love joker's super long revolver what a cool jokery <laughs> weapon yeah, to have. Exactly. You know, it's just such a silly thing. But how does he shoot down the Batwing with a single bullet from that revolver? Nope. I get that it's like supposed to be super accurate because of its long barrel, but it's like, did he hit a fuel line or something? <laughs> uh, is, is he that good of a shot? Is he dead shot? I mean, that's an argument for this being year one Batman, you know, and it's his first go. He has a really poorly designed Batwing. (laughs) They can only take one revolver shot. Also, this Batman doesn't give a fuck. He is (laughs) shooting bullets at all kinds of people. He shot two missiles at the Joker. He's like, he threw a dude off the like top of this building. He threw Joker. I mean, everybody's oh, dying all around him. He straight yeah. up is just murdering people and doesn't care. This Batman easily kills two dozen or more people. Easily. Yep. On per- like, it's not even... Intentionally. You know, when we talk about, yeah, it's not even when we talk about, like, he caused a car accident that killed somebody. No, he's, like, throwing people off of buildings. Blowing right up buildings. Movie, right at the beginning of the movie when those guys, when he first shows up on those uh, muggers, mm-hmm. and they're like, I heard he threw a guy off a five-story building and there was no blood left in the body. And the guy's like, yeah, it's because it all came out because he just fell five stories. It was, I was like, oh my God, this Batman does not give a shit. Yeah, he is it, killing it is, people. It is great. I love can, it so much. Can I just say that I absolutely adore the fact that this Batman isn't a world-class martial artist ninja? Like I, yeah, he actually gets his ass kicked. He all the gets time. his ass kicked all the time. Oh my god, <laughs> he's he goes from being amazing to bad, and I love it because that is the Batman that I, I adore. I I truly love Batman. Shouldn't be perfect, right? I love a fallible Batman. Agreed. And that it's made fair. it more believable that he's in his first few weeks as Batman, right? You know, oh, yeah. maybe maybe this armor that he made was what he thought he needed, but then he realized he couldn't move as well in it. You know, of course, mm-hmm. that doesn't explain why he has very similar armor in the next movie, but, you know. But he is a better Batman. He's he is. a better fighter. He's sure. a better detective in the next one. So he does grow. And Michael Keaton grew a lot as an actor, too. And you can definitely tell that in the second movie. An interesting thing from chat here is that apparently Keaton injured his hip during the first kick in the film, and that injury still kind of plagues him to this day. Maybe he'll have a hip brace in the new movie, uh, in the Flash movie, as an homage. 
Maybe he'll wear the uh, mechanical suit from Kingdom Come. Or use the cane. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, all right. Well, there are some cool facts that I think are worth mentioning. This is the only live-action Batman film that features a single supervillain from the comics. Cool. Every other film has more than one, which is interesting to think about. Um, let's see. What else? This is the highest grossing film of 1989 domestically and was only beat internationally by Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. So there you go. Highest grossing domestic film of 1989, which I think is saying something. I think that's a big deal. Anything else that you would like to cover on Batman 89 this week? I have one more thing. Why in the final scene when Joker and Vicky Vale are going up all those stairs, does Batman decide even with his like weird leg injury that he got from crashing the Batwing that he also needs to go up all those stairs when he clearly has a grapple gun that works just fine because he uses it shortly after <laughs> it, is, it was the most asinine thing ever mm-hmm. he's like limping up all these stairs but he has a grapple gun <laughs> oh yeah what's going on yeah no I, I i thought that too i'm completely with you there maybe he had a head injury when he landed the batwing and that must be it yeah yeah his detective brain wasn't working very well guy had a concussion yep this did start the trend of non-detective batmans though yes that has still gone on to this day it has been an issue but it looks like our next film with pattinson is going to change it's true so it's true that that is a good thing Uh, another thing i kind of noted in this is you know joker's big plan of giving out 20 million dollars in cash so he can kill everybody i feel like that plan would probably work in today's world yeah we were were like there's no way these people would be this calm with all this money flying it would be people murdering each other to get to the money i think that plan would still hold up today he wouldn't even need the gas we'd kill each other on our own (laughs) yeah that's one of the things that's great about this movie right i mean it's that's that's a joker plot that we haven't seen since then and it was really clever you mm-hmm. know and yeah. I, I i liked that a lot then and i still like it now it's also a very visually interesting uh scene so and he's seeing he's... him dancing and throwing the money and stuff mm-hmm. and he's just loving it and he's trying to convince the crowd that he's the good guy and batman is the bad guy that's so great and he's so mad when batman steals his balloons i just oh love yeah that. <laughs> it really upsets him that's a, again a very classic joker thing he mm-hmm. gets he gets upset about this weird like you never know what he's going to get upset about yeah i feel like you know nicholson really captured the essence of what joker was up until this point so you can know? we end this officially derek and say that nicholson is your favorite joker I don't know that I can. I think I, I would need to watch both this and The Dark Knight back to back to really what be, about you, Rachel? To be fair. Are you going to be cool or are you going to be Derek? I'm going to be Derek. Oh my gosh. You both disappoint me. Eh, what's new? I'm That's sorry. True. Good but points, he did, he did a wonderful job. And I think a lot of that goes back to what we mentioned earlier, which was that Keaton and Burton weren't really comic book fans. They didn't really know these comics, but Nicholson did. Not only did Nicholson know the comics, but the Joker was his favorite character. And so he wanted this, he knew what it was, and he knew how to make it his own. And I think that's why, at the end of the day, he's kind of the biggest takeaway from the film. And why mm-hmm. you know, he's still considered by many people to be the definitive Joker. 
Is it bad that when that woman took off her mask at the dinner table, I was like, oh, that's not bad. Like, no, because they kind of play it up to be like she's been completely massacred and then she's just got like a little scar right here. Yeah. It's certainly yeah. not pretty, but it's certainly no. not as bad as it could have been. It's like, okay. it reminds me of uh, what was the the VR movie we watched and reviewed? Remember the movie from the book? What? Ready Player book. One? Yeah, Ready Player One. Oh. The chick's like talking about how ugly she is and you'll never want to meet me. And then she just has like a red spot on her face that's just like barely mark. visible. Yeah. yeah in my head when i read when i was reading the audiobook i thought the bur- i thought her face was going to look much more complex right because mm-hmm. that's what yeah but in the movie she just has like this tiny thing right. but yeah yeah this reminds me of that they play it up to be this huge thing and then yeah she just has some scar on her eye all right well i think we can agree that this movie still holds up pretty damn well that there's still a lot of aspects that have been carried through to the rest of the live action Batman films, at least to date. And if you haven't seen this movie in a long time, I think it's worth a rewatch. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Well then that's going to be it for us this week on screen heroes. We hope that you enjoyed the show. I did promise. Oh, wow. We're way over time, but I did promise last week that we would go over reviews that we've received recently because we've received several reviews. And I want to thank everybody who has sent in reviews of our show on various uh, podcasting platforms. I'm stalling a little bit so I can pull these up, but we've received some on Apple. We've received some on podcast addict as well. If you have reviewed us anywhere else, like for example, Stitcher, where we are now available for the first time, you can find us on Stitcher. You can also review us there. Definitely let us know if you if you do, just in case we miss it. You can review on Stitcher? You can. Okay. Yes. Yes, you can. So we received a few reviews recently. Um, I'm going to go through Apple first, um, just kind of going through these in... Is this one stars and five stars, or are you only reading five stars? I'm going to go through all of them here. Oh, my God. We're going to be here uh, all night. We're not going to be here all night. Here's what I'll do. Here's what I'll do. We'll 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 break them apart because one of these is from September and that one's brand new. So we'll we'll just break them up here a little bit. So we did get a one star review, and uh, this was somebody who apparently reviewed us once before. I don't I don't think they did a written review before, but I apologize if if they did. I, I don't recall. Uh, but they changed the review from a five star to a one star, um, mainly because we're apparently too woke and we made fun of Chris Pratt. Um, so that's all I'm going to say about we? that. Or was it specifically call out one person? I'm sorry. The female host made fun okay. of Chris Pratt. Which um, we always refer to Rachel as the female. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's her only definitive quality. So, Well, we're yes. Ferengi here on Screen Heroes. Um, so, I don't get that joke. Yeah, it's fine. Well, look yeah, it I don't up. have to. It's fine. So yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry we're too woke for you is really all I have to say there. But we did uh, then receive, we've received... Uh, two more that was also that was in august we received two more reviews on apple in august both five stars so thank you very much to both of you we appreciate that you enjoy the show uh kyle s 316 says love it fantastic people fantastic conversations all around great content so thank you kyle and uh aj beamer 8605 said great podcast it's a wide range of thoughts and options on various pop culture and comic book stuff the hosts always seem to really know what they're talking about and care a lot about the content if you love comic books movies etc i highly suggest giving it a listen and subscribing so thank you aj 
for that review. We really appreciate it. We only had to pay for one of those too. <laughs> I don't have any money to pay for reviews. Yeah, we, you barely pay me. We uh, we did get our first review on Podcast Addict ever though. So thank you to Jilly Bean for the five-star review that you left us on Podcast Addict. I truly appreciate that. Um, we'll come back to more of these. Like I said, we had a few more, so I don't want to take up too much time here. So we will uh, just we'll get them out of the way. Just get them out. Let's me, do it. Okay, fine. Just we'll finish just, it up. Then we don't have it lingering. All right. All right. Let's, let's burn through them. Then we've got another five-star review on Apple podcasts that came in just a couple of days ago here in September from raise 18. And it's not says, related to Ray. No, that's no, not me. R A Z E R A Z E 18. Solid podcast. Feels like hanging out with buddies, just shooting the breeze like we used to do pre-COVID. Great friendly hosts who clearly have been fans of this stuff their whole lives. Thank you, Raise18. I appreciate that. We do try and keep it conversational and chill. And woke. And woke. That's right. So woke. Uh, We do have our first review on Stitcher, though, from three days ago. Five stars from Anonymous. So thank you, whoever you are. I appreciate that. Great podcast for film and superhero nerds. Hosts are fun to listen to and have great chemistry, especially the female. So I think this is somebody who maybe we know and knows this joke. Uh, Five Five will continue to listen. (laughs) So thank you. Uh, We are available on Stitcher. So please uh, subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict. We're uh, pretty much anywhere that you can find your podcasts. You can can find us at Screen Heroes Pod on Twitter or HeroesPodcast.com. Please join our Facebook group, our Screen Heroes Facebook group. You can join us live Tuesday nights for this show. Thank you to everybody who chatted with us live during the show we truly appreciate you interacting ray uh before we go i started something new for next week i right as the podcast started um i added a poll in our group you guys get to pick our topic for next week and currently uh it's gonna run for a full day but right now hellboy 2004 is winning so which i voted for because i'm pretty sure my girlfriend's never seen it and i want to force her to watch it so this is a perfect reason (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice. Okay. Awesome. Sounds good. So yeah, join the group and you can vote and help us pick our next topic. You can find Ray at Siren Ray on Ooh. Twitter and Facebook. You can find Ryan at Buster Props and you can find me at the Star Trek Dude. We are Screen Heroes on the Heroes Podcast Network. Thank you for joining us. We will catch you next week. Bye.